Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. John L., your friendly neighborhood moviegoer, back at it again. And tonight, we're going to talk about one of these potential Oscar contending films that was released by a master of cinema director legendary director Martin Scorsese and his newest addition to his filmography Killers of the Flower Moon I went into this film prepared. The entire time I had it in my head, this film is three hours and 26 minutes long. But I didn't want it to deter me. I wanted to enjoy the movie for what it was. And I did enjoy the movie for what it was. Um, to use the quoted term nowadays when something is super dramatic and good, people just describe it as plain cinema. And for the duration of the movie, the runtime, that's the first thing I got to speak about. Just because your movie is a longer runtime than usual doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good. Just because your movie is shorter than what the average runtime is doesn't mean it's going to be good. Martin Scorsese, in his recent years, has gone to this three-plus-hour realm. And it doesn't make his films bad. But honestly, they do tend to drag's not the word because when films drag you feel or like speaking for myself I would feel bored I didn't feel bored at any part of the movie um he just uses so much of the visual space and the sound space in the movie to let scenes and moments breathe. But the knock on that is, or my criticism on it is, sometimes he just lets these scenes and moments breathe for too long. Like, I find 
the length of certain amounts of silence, right? Where the silence might be used to create tension and intensity in a specific moment, you don't have to drag that silence in order for it to be, or in order for the audience member to feel that tension. Once you create it, you can go on, cut, and go on to the next scene. You don't have to let it breathe so much. Some would argue that there's a certain sense of verisimilitude to doing that in a film. What is verisimilitude? The act of something being viewed, thought of as real, truthful, genuine. If I've ever watched a film and thought that it was happening right in front of me and I had no idea anyone in front of me was an actor and what I was watching was actually going down, it was this film. It felt that real, that visceral, that intense, um, that tension was there. But then there were parts of it where it just went on for too long. And I feel like throughout the movie, it accumulated to maybe like 20 minutes, half an hour worth of that. Which entails then us to would have gotten a three hour film, which is still long. But three hours is a three and a half hours, right? Now away from the criticism part. The visuals in this movie were fantastic. They shot in Oklahoma. They were in try I I think they were on tribal land. I'm not too sure, but in like a promotional short for the movie, Mr. Scorsese did say that they shot in Oklahoma. So, to clue you in on the synopsis here, the movie's based on David Grant's broadly lauded best-selling book, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's set in the 1920s in Oklahoma and depicts the serial murder of members of the oil-wealthy Osage Nation, a string of brutal crimes that that came to be known as the Reign of Terror. So, that's exactly what was going on in the movie. Many murders of different members of the Osage Nation. They cued in on a specific family, uh, which is where uh, Leonardo DiCaprio came into play and Robert De Niro came into play. Robert De Niro playing the older uncle, uh, King William Hale, 
Leonardo to the Leo DiCaprio's Ernest Burkhardt. And to say that my initial thought process behind this film was going to be, oh, maybe Leo, because I had never read the book. I don't know. I didn't know the background or anything of that. I figured, okay, Leo knows this guy, De Niro's character. Um, they have some sort of a past. Uh, Leo needs a favor. He's doing a favor. He's uh he's doing some jobs for the old man. The old man tell him, tells him to marry one of the old sage girls. Um, knowing he was trying to deceit her, or de sorry, deceive her in some way, and then Leo would revolt in some way and um, turn his back on De Niro's character. Essentially, that is what happened. But, the turn of events during this movie, to me, got so complex and so convoluted due to the fact of how many people got involved in this in these strings of murders in this deceit of not only the Osage people but the family that was involved um, with Lily Gladstone who played the character of uh, Molly Burkhart with her family being the focal point Leo DiCaprio Ernest. He was in on it. It wasn't that he came to town. He was Rico Suave. He swept the old girl off her feet. They fell in love. And they uh, got married and had a family. Nah. King Hale. De Niro's character. Made this. To, in his mind. This foolproof plan where he convinced his nephew to, one, work for him, be a cab driver, and because the oil-rich Osage had all this money, they needed drivers in the town. So, specifically, King Hale told Ernest, hey, drive around Molly. Because she's out here single. And, uh, you know, if you see yourself as a married type, you know, get yourself in there. And if you get yourself in there, you'll have some money to tap into. But then that idea turned into play no deceit and murder of other Osage people and family members of, of uh, Molly Burkhardt. I said to myself, it's the 1920s. People really had it out 
these these layered plans to just be greedy and steal money and and have the as the term that was used in the movie head rights of these of these family members because as con as you kill the eldest and then the other children around them and then eventually the plan was to kill Molly so that Ernest would have the head rights and he would inherit all this money I said to myself man for the the instance of this movie (laughs) the white man is the devil (laughs) and um well played for the entire cast they the cast played their roles to the T I bought in from minute one and I just found it so sickening that this happened to these people just for the sake of greed. You know? Um, in some instances during the movie you saw the divide between the people the whites and the natives whites calling them savages and things of that nature the Osage weren't part of the five civilized tribes. They were still natives, but they were still considered quote-unquote savages. But they weren't savages. They got rich off the land that they were from. They traveled from Missouri, as they said in the movie, from Missouri to Kansas to Oklahoma there in Fairfax where the movie was set and their people were warriors and they looked into finding black gold and you know then came money and lifestyles changed and um, their native ways were getting diluted due to lifestyle and the white devil inseminating themselves in their towns marrying the women planting their seeds and having these uh, as they said it in the movie half-breed children to know that this these events actually took place outside of everything else that's happened to the 
black and African-American community throughout the history of the United States. People just don't talk about what happened to the native folk here in the land of the good old U.S. of A. The genocide, manifest destiny, and how these people were killed off and stripped of their own land. <laughs> to know that this sort of thing happened because of greed. And I understand if it wasn't for all that shit that happened in the past with the native people uh, and the emigrating white folk from colonial times, I probably wouldn't be sitting where I am right now in New York City. But to still know that that sort of thing happened, it's tragic, it's disgusting. It just ain't right. And to watch this all unfold for three and a half hours, I was like, did we have to see all this detail? Like, it just seemed, it didn't even seem like a historical event. It just seemed like something that could have happened a couple of years ago. For folks who have written reviews and or stated their case with their own reviews uh, via their own podcasts and YouTube or whatever, to call this movie or minimize this movie into the context of a Western is ridiculous to me. Because, just because this movie was set in the 1920s, this was set in the, the time of the Roaring Twenties. And it's Oklahoma, yeah, no doubt, we see cattle ranches and, you know, Oklahoma's more plateaus and ranges and things of that nature from a, from a, from a land perspective. This wasn't a Western in the, in the traditional sense. This wasn't somebody coming to the OK Corral and shooting people down and and, and folks in um, in, uh, in bars and saloons and, and during the frontier times and, um, you know, the outlaws. Like, this wasn't any of that. This was one of the most layered and complex stories that is true, that happened during that era in time between native people and white people it was just the continued desecration of those people by the whites and it was fucked up it was just fucked up I can't put it any other way and I say all this because this film made you not just visually see what could have possibly happened right in that era 
and it made you feel it because of all the intense scenes shared by all the cast members. The cinematography in this movie was, my God, man, like, the scenes, like, all scenes outside of the duration of them, they were necessary, right? And the score played into the movie so well, the storytelling, the story was so strong in this film that that's why I feel that's what makes this film so great I believe um but yet again we're pitted with this with these scenes of what happened in American history and during the film because this happened in nineteen in the nineteen twenties, there were mentions of other events that happened. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's um, character had just come back home from World War One, um, so it was during that time. They mentioned the events of Tulsa, what happened with uh, Black Wall Street. They also mentioned, uh, they mentioned the Klan. You saw the Klan uh, in a, during a parade. Um, there's a scene there where um, they weren't a, a big part of the movie, but they were a part of the lexicon of that time. So they were depicted in the film. I feel like they got the look of everything right. Um, the accents, the costuming. They shot this film where this took place. Um, so it just felt so real. And props to the... Um, like I said, the entire cast. Every time I was um, looking on screen, I was trying to, I was trying to see if I recognized a lot of people on screen. And then, like the short appearances of certain actors in the film. Like when it came down to when the FBI got involved. And they were trying to figure out who was committing these murders. And they eventually arrested Ernest, Leo DiCaprio's um, character. And Jesse Plemons, who played uh, one of the FBI agents, he interrogated Leo. And the other FBI agents started rounding up all the different characters that were involved in all these different murders. And some guys were already in penitentiary for time. Other guys were just dropping dime. Um, and not all the the perps got caught by the FBI, 
because King Hale was starting to kill these guys off before they could start snatching. But he couldn't get to everybody, though. And then, obviously, Ernest Leo DiCaprio's car uh, character. Uh, even though he was complicit in everything that was going on, he flipped on because he finally grew a conscience. And uh, he didn't want to do what he was doing to Molly and her family anymore. The one caveat about Leo's character that I didn't understand for like the first half an hour. And I was like, what are they trying to say about Leo's character? Like how he's coming off, his disposition. There was a, there was a line, I think it was, I think it was almost used like a throwaway line um, in the part of the movie where Leo was courting uh, Lily Gladstone's character, uh, Molly Burkhardt. Where Molly was speaking in her native language to one of her sisters and she says, he's not too smart, but he's a handsome one. It was never necessarily like directly stated, right? But I'm not too sure if Leo's character had any sort of like learning disabilities or something wrong with him. But he just wasn't sharp. He was considered dumb. Even at one point, one of the great uh, cameo appearances as one of the uh, uh, lawyers on King Hale's side of things, uh, Brendan Fraser calls Ernest a dumb boy. And I'm there like, this is how they convinced this kid to do all this crap because he was that gullible? He wasn't sharp. He was dumb. And it, it blew my mind. Not to say that people aren't like that in real life. But to know the levels, the depths that his own family member went to for greed. He took advantage of this kid and he made him an accessory. To everything that was going on. Now no doubt. Ernest became. An accessory and complicit with everything. And he knew what he was doing. But by the end of it. He had his own mind. He had his own feelings. And he ended up testifying. Against King Hale. And everybody went to jail. I just couldn't believe how deep these people went, how far these people went just for greed. And then at the end of the movie, we get a roundup um, or we get, we get the, uh, the FBI case summarized in a classic, uh, 1920s, uh, crime radio show 
stage play. And Scorsese was a part of it uh, towards the end of the movie. Basically letting us know that uh, Ernest and William Hale uh, were in jail for life sentences. And then they eventually got out on good behavior. And um, Ernest's brother, Byron, who was also complicit in all these uh, different murders and heinous crimes and stuff like that. He was in there for uh, for life as well. But then he was also let out early for good behavior and things of that nature. I was like, none of this shit stuck. They were able to do what they did to these people. They didn't spend the maximum time in jail for their crimes. They got out. Not to say that they committed any other further crimes, because that wasn't stated in the movie. But it's like, they spent some time in the pen, and they got out. They murdered people. Over 50 people. Outside of the Focal Point family, that was being... uh, that were the basic protagonists of the movie. You kill all these folk and you only go to jail for 20 years? And a government, the FBI, locked them up? I, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I could not believe it. But to mention some, some cameos, um, I mentioned Brendan Fraser uh, being part of the legal team. On William King Hale's side, the prosecutor, the federal prosecutor, I got taken aback. And I said to my, I said this out loud while I was sitting in the recliner at the theater. I said, is that John Lithgow? It was John Lithgow playing the prosecutor for the government, uh, trying to put William Hale and his uh, gang of miscreants away. Um, yeah, man, this was quite the story, quite the tale. And I thought that they, everyone did a great and excellent job with this. Uh, this gets the YFNMG stamp of approval. But like I said, I feel like they could have cut out a lot of the, um, I would call it dead air. And empty scenes where nothing was happening, where it wasn't even necessarily transitional scenes. It was just panning of cameras and or a dead shot of a close-up that just lasted too long. Like those things could have been edited, edited out. They could have done better with that. At least half an hour of the movie could have been cut out just due to that. But yeah, YFNMG stamp of approval. What are the people saying? Rotten Tomatoes. As of right now, we have 324 critic reviews. It is a certified fresh film at 92%. And the audience has spoken highly. 
much above average. 85% audience score on the Rotten Tomatoes for Killers of the Flower Moon. So yeah, folks, am I going to go back to the theater and watch this? Probably not. Reason being that three hours and 26 minutes is a good chunk of my day. Why? Because I have to spend 45 minutes on the train to go, another 45 minutes to come back home. That's an hour and a half. Add that to 3.30, that's five hours out of my day just for a movie. It's a lot. It is a lot, folks. Um, we got a lot in this film. Um, so I can't take that away from the movie. But I feel like for some of the longer films throughout Hollywood history, throughout movie history, film history, you're asking a lot of the audience to sit there for three and a half hours. Cinema or not, great or not, I think that's just too long of a length for a movie. And that's my last point on that. I recommend it, folks. You guys should go out and watch it. If you, if, if you feel so inclined, um, it's not one of those movies you have to watch um, on a large format screen. I watched it in Dolby, but it wasn't necessary. Um, so it's not something you have to watch like Dolby or IMAX. Um, so keep that in mind. And yeah, set out at least five hours for your day if you do plan it. If you do plan to go to a theater and watch it. Set out a five hour block and uh, get prepared for that unless you live like across the street from a movie theater or something. So then it doesn't become like a five hour block. But at least minimum four hours. <laughs> so uh, there's that about it. Then anyways folks I'm going to wrap this one up. Uh, as always, I appreciate you all for listening to my musings. Shout outs to the entire global YFNMG community. If you listen to any of my previous October movie recordings, you know that you can follow me on the socials at John L YFNMG on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. I'll be posting up content soon. I actually meant to do something today while I was at the theater and it completely um, skipped my mind <laughs> after I left the movie theater. Um, but I will hunker down and focus better, folks, so I can put up uh, better social content. Uh, so do follow me on the socials. Uh, follow me on whatever podcasting platform you use, be it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, whatever you use. Follow me on there. Um, become a subscriber. Leave some positive ratings for me. If you can, and also on the YouTube front, 
subscribe, comment, and engage with me. Until next time, folks, I got a couple more movies to watch and review this coming week. So you'll be hearing from me soon. Until then, see you next time. Be well, stay safe, and take care of one another out there, folks. Peace.